In this episode, Ryan and I discuss recent comments, orphans, refugees, and reaping what you sow. We had fun doing it and hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Beautiful, cloudy Saturday morning, Alvarado, Texas, you know, living large, mm-hmm. right? Did you come prepared today, Mr. Griggs? I'm always prepared. Perfect. Good answer. All right. Well, I uh, had some comments printed down mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to access them on yep. online. Um. And these are comments on um, episode 87? I don't know about the one you've got in front of you, but I've got some positive ones from 87. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is from episode 87. Additional interest, quote unquote, quote unquote. And IBC frequently asked questions. Mm-hmm. That episode. And so I want to start with <laughs> a, a quasi- a blended comment. How's that? It's a blended comment. Let me set the stage a little bit here. Okay. <laughs> I wake on the phone yesterday, just Uh-oh. naturally, and he mentions this comment. And it's not, a, it's, I mean, it's, it's not unduly negative, but it's not positive either. Um, and it really affected him. <laughs> you, had, you were concerned that you were being overly harsh or not being clear because of this comment. And... Anyway, so you, you can talk about so it, but then, I, but then but, there's a lot of great feedback, too. So. Right. I did explain that. I mean, I was sharing that with you on the phone call, but I had also had uh, earlier this week, you know, I had like three or four comments from clients and prospective clients that they, while talking with them on the phone, client, prospective clients, they mentioned this episode mm-hmm. and say, oh, James, you know, you answered, y'all answered some really good questions. I had some that you brought clarity. And I ask each one of them, I'm like, well, don't you think I was a little too hard on there? On, you know, was I being too aggressive or, mm-hmm. you know, however I ask that, and which, which is genuinely, I mean, that's how I ask. Yeah. Was I being too harsh? You don't think I was being too harsh? And every one of them were very positive mm-hmm. conversations. So I'm sharing this with young Mr. Griggs on the phone yesterday. And so here's the comment on, you know, additional interest, episode 87. Um, The individual says, I love you guys and have learned so much from this podcast. It's hard sometimes, though, when James's go-to method of explaining a concept is in the form of a rhetorical question, which I think is legitimate. (laughs) Okay. And then he continues, like, brother, help me understand, exclamation point. I already know I don't get it. You don't have to beat me up. So, and, and really, that shouldn't even bother me. But, you know, I'm concerned. That made me concerned whether I was being too harsh or not. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I'm just explaining, I don't listen to all of these episodes. And so I haven't had the opportunity, and I probably am not going to take the time to go back and see if I was being too harsh. I may, but probably not. Yeah. And then, in contrast... We have the other comments. James, this is one of your best. Wishing you well. Uh, 31-minute mark. Pay attention, folks. James drops the mic here. Amazing work on explaining capitalization early versus tackling debt first. Love it. Thanks, James and Ryan. Great episode. Definitely helped me clarify some confusion about equipment financing. Can we get OK Commando on a coffee mug or something? I don't know what that means. Did you say that at some point? No, I think you did. Oh, okay. But I want to go back in here where you said that and what 
reference it was set in. Yeah. So I may go back and listen to this one. Great explanation, especially when you discussed waiting to pay off debt before starting IBC. Yeah, that's a whole thing on its own. And then, and then this, and this comes up, and it. I don't know. Did you read that one too? I might have yes. printed out of order. No, I did. So a couple of three or four phone calls, four or five positive comments. So, young man, I, I don't think I was being too harsh. Well, you had a point to me earlier before we started about how Nelson taught. Yeah, and here's the point that yeah. I was sharing. Prior to six to eight years, um, and the, while he was, you know, uh, presenting his seminar... I mean, the last six to eight years that he was presenting his seminar, um, he would answer questions directly. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like he knew he, he did know he was in the short rows. He said it all the time. I'm in the short rows. So uh, he would answer their question, you know, just straightforward. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, however, if you asked him a question, he would ask you a question mm-hmm. that would cause you to consider your question. And the way you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so powerful, you know, the, I mean, so I, I like that method because it forced you to think or research or both. Right. And what's wrong with that? No, nothing. I mean, there's over, like we're coming up, this is a 95th episode right here. Yeah. I mean, that means there's over 95 <laughs> hours. Oh, yeah. You know, on, on the Banking With Life channel at no cost. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you have an interest in becoming your own banker, learning the infinite banking concept, I can't think of a better place to plug into and mm-hmm. listen. Okay. All right. So, Abbott, you know, uh, keep listening. I want to be encouraging. I don't want to beat anyone up um, unless they're, you know, financial gurus and deserve it and they're asking for it. Then I'll <laughs> do my part. <laughs> I just I think this it causes so much confusion for people the idea of paying extra interest I and mean, we did the whole episode on it last time and it's like look you got a maximum allowed PUA premium in a given year the underwriters got to be able to evaluate the contract they got to know how much death benefit you could buy if you exercise your maximum authority so that's oh, going to so be what? a specific number <laughs> and that's it that's the number it's a contract if they, if they say there's a contractually fixed maximum you can only pay so much in total premium the base premium is fixed and specified. If you got level term, hopefully it's level. But if you have level term, that premium is fixed. If you got a PUA, you got probably some minimums. And then there's a maximum. There will be a maximum. Whether it's discussed with in the agent relationship, but I think that's what's going on. Is that there's not, that discussion is not happening. It's not happening at all. Right. It's hey, I want to pay. I'm. I'd. I'd like to pay this much. Okay. Thanks for the talk. Thanks for the call. I'll have an illustration in your inbox in the next few days. Oh and no! Then, wait, thirty minutes because I can like just give me the ratio you want that built in, and I'll, yeah. I'll email well, that. If out to the you. illustration's made in the agent's office, I oh, think a yeah. lot of them it's the home office. Yeah, but when you get so simple, it's like you can, you know, you can build an illustration like if, if like I'm gonna do a hard ratio yeah. between base only and a blended PUA. I mean. The companies make it easy for the right. dummy agent to be able to do that. Yes. I, and I'm just saying, okay, is that being harsh? No, that's being straightforward, direct, and honest. Okay. Yeah. But then, too, um, the default question, because this is not this is not covered, mm-hmm. right, is, well, what's my MEC limit? So that becomes yes, the limit, you know. And the no, thing. the IRS determines the MEC limit. All the life insurance companies interpret that MEC 
limit, mm-hmm. right? That MEC definition. And so on your illustration, it's going to have a MEC premium. If you go over this dollar amount, the policy is going to MEC. That does not mean you have the contractual right to pay up to the MEC limit. Right. What? It, it, they're just two different. Okay, so this relates to a, a comment that. Well, I, I guess was not released, but the, the comment, the question says, the one question that, and I don't like this because this, anyway, the one question that is never really answered is, what about MEC limits? If you are already fully funding to the point you are allowed to by the government and life insurance company, wouldn't paying an extra quote unquote pretend higher interest rate pretend. with the extra going to PUA cause your policy to MEC? Okay, there is no <laughs> <laughs> pretend premium. There's you. There's the maximum, and if you if you want to pay the maximum, then you pay the maximum. And if the maximum is paid in that year, then you can't pay more. I don't know how. Well, this this idea of using the word pretend and look, words have meaning and words have power. So, just by the very form of that question, when you quote unquote pretend. No, I mean, Nelson clearly identifies what the additional quote-unquote interest is, right? It's, it is it's so explicit, guys. It's capital to your system, premium to the life insurance company, and then you're just practicing honest banker, and you're valuing your money. So you, I don't know, and this may be where I'm getting harsh, I don't know you and most of America is going broke at 3% rate, <laughs> interest rate, while they're paying $1,500 a month by volume and interest. Uh, so my point here is that if you read Nelson's book, he quote unquote describes and explains his use of the word interest. Page, right, when, page 58, the footnote. Actually, this interest is not really interest. It is additional premium capital in parentheses that has been paid into the policy that equals the interest that was being paid to the finance company that is the reason that it is adding to the cost basis of the policy so it wasn't pretend it wasn't pretend when they were sending that uh interest to associates finance so you keep the cash flow the same now it's Mm. not interest to the life insurance company because they have a set rate of interest and it's lower than what the third-party lender was charging and what the man was paying. So I don't think Nelson used the word pretend there. No. He said, quote, unquote, this interest is not actually interest. It's additional capital to your system. Right. But, Premium to the life insurance company. And, but that is, it is legitimate to, for Nelson to say interest in quotation marks when he's referring exactly. to this margin between the actual interest on the policy loan and the full amount of PUA he wants to pay in a given year. That's legitimate because that cash flow, just like you said, was interest at the in the conventional financing arrangement, and so it's that there's a, a meaningful sense in which you can say, okay, a cash flow that was interest over here can be redirected over here to a life insurance company as if it were interest when in <laughs> fact it's premium. That is not. There's nothing sneaky about that or like nothing esoteric. And the life insurance company didn't have a single hand in any of that. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) I just want to point out the fact that uh, he who has gold makes the rules so the banker can do whatever he wants. That guy can, what, I don't care what he calls that cash flow. Man. It's just like the dividend, the, the legal definition of a dividend is a return of overpayment of premium. Well, hell, what else has the IRS got right? 
<laughs> I'm just saying, I don't care what you call it, pay me a dividend. And don't reduce my dividend because I have an outstanding loan, mm. you direct recognition companies. Yeah. All right. And, and, and then don't try to convince me, um, agent or advisor, that a direct recognition company is better than a non-direct recognition company with some kind of esoteric illustrations and presentations that you have. Yeah. I'm just saying. And, and then um, a, another layer to it for me that I've noticed <laughs> in the last couple of weeks, just especially, mm. is... Um, an overly like an excessive concern with perfection like what you know exactly what i'm talking about you know uh, well nelson says that um you know he recommends using a policy loan that he wouldn't have done it uh, you know if he were advising a client on the the addendum page 44 uh you know note that the illustration on page 46 and 47 does not show any policy loans to make the car purchases the purchases were made by the use of dividend withdrawals which by the way are same thing as partial surrenders. If I were in a life insurance business, I would never suggest that a client do it this way. I would recommend policy loans to buy the cars. People read that and they say, well, my gosh, Nelson says I should use policy loans and then he doesn't show me how to do it. And I'm upset now. And show me, show me. I mean, the little entitlement fists on the table attitude. It's like, oh, you know, you, what, what, well, what he I is trying to do with you. What he is trying to show. talking about life insurance. <laughs> what, well, what he is trying to show is like, what, your contractual authority is, and if you exercise it in certain ways, what the results will be. I mean, I've been getting on this more and more with people. This is not becoming your own banker, how to implement the infinite banking concept in your own specific circumstances at this particular time and place. It's becoming your own banker, unlock the infinite banking concept. We're teaching a concept. <clears throat> and then given what we can learn about what's possible, then it becomes a practical consideration at a specific moment where things can be optimized to a degree. But then you know, the other thing is too, you know, once the policy's in force, you're in control. I think some people get, for instance, very concerned over, okay, I have limited uh, funds for the year. I've got base premium due. I've got PUA premium that's payable. I have a policy loan outstanding may have some other conventional debt outstanding and the funds I have available can't pay all of those things in the same year. Welcome so, to America. Right. Which is a lot. And, and so there, look, don't get me wrong. There's a legitimate question to be asked about, okay, well, what should I prioritize first? But there's a, there's a, also a degree to which you're secure, right? If the, if the base premium gets paid, um, if you've, if you have some cash flow, you've paid some PUA, right? The, there's not, I, I'm thinking of a specific call with a client where there was a concern about a potential lapse. And it was, which is understandable. You don't want the policy to lapse, especially if you have loans outstanding. It could be a taxable consequence. So it's a legitimate question. But at the end of the day, if we understand what's going on, we'll know what to do. <laughs> like if, if we understand that the cash value is the collateral on the policy loan, and so long as the cash value is in excess of the loan balance, then there won't be a lapse. And if we know what specifically causes cash value to rise, like PUA premium payment, like the passage of time like with interest. Like a payment of any premium. I right. mean, yeah. And, and if you do that, and if you, for instance, pay the interest on the policy loan, at least in the given year, then you know that the relationships will stay appropriate. The cash value will remain higher. The loan balance won't rise. You're good. You know? Hi. That reminds me of a particular call that I had. I mean, that's all. I get up every day in daylight to dark, you know, I'm talking with 
clients and uh-huh. prospective clients and insurance companies and I have fun when I talk to clients and prospective clients. I had a conversation this week and the individual is new. There's a comment here. I don't know if you were going to read that comment about the new individual, but relatively new to um, the infinite banking concept, the idea that you can become your own banker. But I had one to, this week and, and uh, you know, I, I, I believe people just want clarity. You know, they just want simplicity. They don't want it, you know, broken down, spoon-fed to them. I'm not saying that yeah, when I'm no. saying simplicity. Brevity, there's a... Clarity, concision know, and precision. Yeah, yeah, brevity, clarity, and not all the BS. Don't mesmerize me with numbers and presentations that can really look good in the lowest interest rate environment ever and if you and so this conversation this week was just just point by point by point he's newly exposed to this idea and as soon as they click on anything then they're they're stalked by you know all of these fabulous marketers mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily bring clarity the marketers don't necessarily always bring clarity I'm not saying that they're all bad at all um, but dang yeah. whenever you've got to go over the I mean just point by point the noise right they like like they guarantee 4% interest you know and so I'm going to talk about that for just briefly here and this is not going to be all inclusive but your policy does not earn a guaranteed 4% and it's so evident all you got to do is look at the first year premium <laughs> And the, at the end of the first year cash values, if there's not a 4% gain, that's less than honest mm-hmm. or ignorant, one of the two. Okay. Now, let's say that you had a guaranteed interest rate, which we know you don't, right? and it would only be paid on the cash values, mm-hmm. right? And it's, why would you want to squeeze down the base portion of your premium to the lowest amount where the 4% cash value is guaranteed, quote unquote, and it's not guaranteed, okay? And then, um, I say this often, all of life insurance today, issued after January 1 of 2020, Mm -hmm. is based on the 2017 CSO tables, Commissioner Standard Ordinary Tables. And it's priced appropriately, appropriately, um, and, and, considering our life expectancy. Mm-hmm. So we're using the 120 year theoretical lifespan. All right. Mm-hmm. And the cash value must equal the face amount at the end of 120 years of age. Then you're 121. All right. So the cash value must equal the face amount at age 121. My question to you, young Mr. Griggs, do you want a big death benefit at 121 or do you want a small death benefit as big as it can get now just think that through yeah <laughs> so if the cash value must equal the face amount at 121 don't I want a big death benefit at 121 right and so why would I squeeze down the base premium to nothing it makes no logical sense if you understand 
some just some fundamental some basics of life insurance right. anyway um, so these conversations you know some are funner than others you love helping <laughs> I like I know you enjoy I enjoy love helping people you know expand their horizons and, and they have those aha moments and, and they just get what they suspect or see what they didn't see before it's fabulous yeah but um Nelson did a very simple work here and I'm not patronizing his work he got it done in 92 pages and there literally is lots of blank pages and illustrations and I mean it's a very uh short simple clear concise and accurate mm. you know he doesn't need any uh reinterpretations i'm just saying why why can't we just read you know mm-hmm. and and i get it I, I want everything as soon as possible i get it i want to go online i don't have time to read you cannot learn this concept correctly using 10 minute sound bites and 15 minute videos taking some highlights looking at a very brief or limited amount of information in somebody's you know complicated presentation mm-hmm. I think it's elegant me too like so I'm doing this paper for the <clears throat> Nelson Nash Institute right where I'm going to explain because it had pushback from people who think Nelson's wrong or that Nelson said he did one thing in the illustrations but then sneakily did something else in the actual calculations so I mean that's the accusation of all life insurance companies too (laughs) you know these are bad nefarious people trying to get one over on you I mean who promotes that idea Uh, Wall Street term promoters anybody who doesn't uh, understand the value of dividend paying whole life insurance yeah. I don't know tax qualified plan people um, so I'm, I'm gonna I'll go through and we'll have a very explicit stated explanations for why the numbers in the illustrations are what they are and I'll make it clear how you can reverse engineer numbers where you want if you want to and to understand why the numbers change the way they do so that I don't have to have the conversations over the past month that I've oh, had like the, you think that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna fix all the future conversations oh no I, I just won't engage I'll be like yeah okay here's the paper right that's what I think perfect yeah well here's the book that's what I think <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no that's good <laughs> I got it um but there so I wanted to talk some about some current clients because there's other hmm, less than some of those less fun interactions are with uh, clients of other agents who let me okay let me put it this way when you go to buy life insurance there's an individual who's the writing agent he's gonna he's writing the application and you're, you're purchasing the policy. And the servicing agent as well. He's the That's servicing agent. That's where I'm going. Okay. So there's a writing agent. And from the start, the writing agent is also the servicing agent. Okay. Two roles, though. All right. The writing agent writes the contract, gets the policy in force, helps the client get the application submitted and get through underwriting, get the policy delivered. And it's writing also agent. called uh, the agent of record in mm-hmm. the industry writing agent, agent of record. And then there's a servicing agent. And at the beginning, those 
the two roles are played by the same person, right? The writing agent is also the servicing agent. But it may not stay that way. <laughs> what you now, do in the financial world? <laughs> Orphans. Yeah. So what do you so, call them? Refugees. Right. So I think so. Yeah. There's there's two designations, and this is from much earlier on in the podcast. But uh, we might. <laughs> I refer, I've I've referred to a, a client of uh, another agent, and the agent's still in the business, but for whatever reason, this the the relationship soured. Right there, something wasn't working. So I call those clients refugees. <laughs> Had some conflict with the. But they they seek us out. They seek you out. They seek me. Yeah. We we don't go and search for, you know, refugees or right. Yeah, not interested. Um, so that's those the, those are the refugees. The orphans might be okay. The agent is no longer in the business. Right, they've just withdrawn. They've retired. They've passed away. They've changed business. They've decided to run operations and training rather than work with clients. You know, Whatever. anything like that. Um, that so those individuals then are orphaned, right? Those clients are orphaned. They don't have a servicing. Are we going to split they, hairs between orphans and refugees? Yes, it's a clear, yeah, proper classification. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's this, you know, there's a group of clients who, for whatever reason, the, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're a refugee, they're an or orphan, they're just, no, they're no longer able to manage their policy with whomever was listed originally as the servicing agent, okay? Um, and when that happened, without exception, the people who are orphans and refugees did not expect to become one, right? There was a sense in which, and it's unspoken, and that's why I'm bringing it up, that, okay, that's my life insurance agent. There might be some assumption or presupposition that, oh, I can he can help me out in the future if I need to manage this policy in some way, if I have questions, if I need some sort of service and, you know, onward in the future. And there's at least an assumption at least, at least because, um, and I think most often that's all it is. No, nah, well, because I don't there's know. Not I, explicit. I can't speak for a lot of other offices, but in my office, there's not an assumption. That's an explicit, uh, part of our offices being available. So, yeah, keep going. I don't want to yeah. interrupt you. Well, for, and and maybe it is for all these other. Well, people. that's the way it should be. Sure, but but some reason these these things still happen. <laughs> Confusion over expectations regarding who will provide ongoing service, and I think it's neglected. It's neglected in the pre-application part of this process when you're going to get a, a policy. Um, I don't think it's brought up. I, it's, it's rarely asked about, um, and so. What happens is, okay, so I'm thinking of one particular instance. In this instance, a, a current client of mine, but also a client of another agent. So this person- A refugee? Um, yes, yep. I would, yeah, I would call him a refugee. That, he yeah. was orphaned and then became a refugee. Yeah, yeah. But, before be he was, but before he was orphaned, mm -hmm. it wasn't working out, mm. right? Like the agent was- still working with clients and still Available. doing new business, but just was not responding to this particular individual, his questions. Is right? he a good client? Yeah. So that, that Pays must. Tens, plural, of thousands of dollars in premium. 
Well, perfect. So, that doesn't mean he's a good client just because he pays a lot of premium. I mean, that helps. That's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, and perfect. super pleasant to work with. It's been maybe so a year, he's a year good and client. It's not. It's not his. You know, it problem or he didn't create. This guy's a family man. He's young. He's around my age. He's, he's a family guy. He's doing the family business. They're in a, a type of manufacturing. They're in the south. I mean, this is like down home country cool people salt of the earth yes people. yes it's not it is not the client's fault okay, okay. Uh, so he has two policies in the past from this office and about a year ish year and a half in to the lifespan of those policies was having difficulty getting in touch with the agent in order to manage the, the policy and different we say manage the policy what the heck does that mean well you know you may forget exactly how much PUA premium you can pay in a given year. Uh, you may have other questions, how to change a beneficiary. I, here's an interesting question. What's the claim process like? You know, Call these, me. these things down the road, right? We service our clients. Well, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> but no, ain't nobody else talking about it because th then this wouldn't be happening. So for, for some reason, this is occurring and so there's there's a mismatch in expectations, right? Whether it's spoken or not, and it's unfortunate when it happens because it's like, well, look. At the end of the day, the agent is not like legally required. There's not a, a formal penalty for not taking your calls later. You know, there's that can happen, and that doesn't exist anywhere that I know. It doesn't yeah. exist in the medical world, the legal world, or. So it's 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 got to I mean a formal penalty. Yeah, it has to be discussed up front, I think, right? It should or be. or you need to or or you need to you as the client or potential client need to familiarize yourself with the agent's methods. Right? For instance, do they have a podcast that's been running longer than the other one? Do they continue <laughs> to provide on, you know, I mean things like that's that. Not, but we don't take live calls on the podcast yet. Whoa! Don't overpromise on that one. You want to well, take live okay, calls well, you on this program? Your twenty-page paper. So and and I and will. We'll set up a a live podcast. Mm. I'm not overpromising. Am I overcommitting you? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. That's like we have nothing better to do or they, nothing else to do. Not better. There's nothing better to as long do. As we screen the calls ahead of time. Oh, <laughs> um, we'd have to have a delayed button in case some of these. Uh, interesting characters called in that didn't really have a legitimate or sincere question. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so this happens and it's unpleasant. Like this client in particular felt very disrespected and understandably so. It's like I'm paying significant premium into policies and I have a simple question. <clears throat> right, well, let me help you out here. Let me, for you, the, the listener, uh, because young Mr. Griggs and I talk regularly and I'm familiar with this mm -hmm. and Last year, that individual sought you out mm -hmm. because he was not being serviced, felt disrespected, and was disrespected, orphaned without cause or expectation. Yeah. And he does a substantial amount of business with you, mm -hmm. substantial, and discovers that you deliver a pretty good service, <laughs> like you answer your phone when they call, All right? And so, but he still, and you didn't, you didn't replace policies. You didn't beat him up saying, oh, those are the worst things ever. You should buy new policies and 1035 exchange them or cancel those. You appropriately said, those are 
good enough policies to keep. I don't remember the details. That's on the exactly exact. what they were is good enough. Good enough to keep. Right. And so you accepted him as a client and you continued uh, to help him build out his whole system. Mm-hmm. And part of that was not replacing the existing policies with two different companies, I mm-hmm. believe. So maybe the agent just like takes this policy and that policy and whatever. I don't know. I don't want to critique the agent's work. But um, he can't even, that the agent won't even help him do that, right? Manage the existing policies or help him, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I just, that's background that you didn't share. No, I appreciate that. And it, and it has, and it's been great. You know, it's the, as you were saying that, what came to mind was, you know, cause like you said, I accepted him as a client and which implies that I could have not accepted him. Right. And that, so there's another layer to this. There are grounds to di- on which me in my own professional capacity or as an agent will discontinue service, right? Or discontinue the application process. Or the relationship in total. Right, just, <clears throat> we call it firing a client or firing a, a prospect or firing a suspect, right? It's, so there are grounds. Now, you will find agents online who, the, where the impression is given, come one, come all. Call my office, come do business with us. I, and this may be speculation, but I think the the type of people who do that, who in a sense want to be all things to all people, or at least want, you know, are, are indiscriminate mm-hmm. in accepting everybody, regardless of the potential prospect's behavior, right? There's, they put, the agent puts themselves through the ringer to get the business enforced. I think that sort of agent is the one that's more likely to disappear no question. down the line. No question. Whereas an, whereas an agent who discriminates, and I don't mean that legally, my gosh, but who is, who is selective in uh, accepting clients and not accepting other clients, that agent, I think, is more likely to remain, to, to mm. remain a degree of integrity, to continue to have a degree of integrity with respect to ongoing service, right? To continue to perform the ongoing service that someone might expect or presume or assume. And because I, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a sort of thing which is like, okay, does the agent have a risk? And we talked about this last week too. Does the agent have- Like he's reminding me, like res- I don't remember what we talked about. Well, no, I'm just thinking okay. <laughs> that, the, that the agent has a respect and an understanding and awareness of the cost of their time. Uh, right, of the opportunity yeah. cost of their time. And so, so an agent who indiscriminately, non-selectively, you know, oh my gosh, just give me a call, send me an illustration, we'll get this enforced. That mentality, that indiscriminate, non-selective mentality demonstrates, I think, uh, that the agent doesn't have an understanding, or, or no, that the agent's understanding of his opportunity cost is such that it makes sense for him to do that sort of business, right? Or Which, he just doesn't understand, or he doesn't understand his uh, opportunity cost, or he can't write enough business, so he has a very low opportunity. So the opportunity cost, cost is low. Yeah. All right. You're, you're being a gentleman. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you can't do, you must teach. 
or go to work in the home offices <laughs> in the life insurance industry. But I love uh, the people in the home offices. You know, I'm not disparaging with a broad brush. There are salt of the earth people there. Yeah. But do y'all uh, see what I'm saying? Like, it's you want to. I hear what you're saying. Work with somebody who <laughs> is selective, right? Like the and it's that's in not any a bad. Profession. That's not a bad thing, though. Right. Right. You know, and you don't have to be intimidated. It's like, well, James, you're too busy. Or, you know, I'm not as uh, academic as you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's it's not a bad thing at all to be mm-hmm. selective. It's not. It's a good thing, right? It's like you cannot be all things to all people. And if you are, you're already wrong. You're already overstretched. You're undercapitalized. You can't deliver on your promises. And mm-hmm. that's not going to wind up well. But you mentioned firing clients. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a um, relatively new client who's practiced banking for many years, mm. right? <clears throat> Successfully, salt of the earth people, reaches out and is like, James, you know, we, we love your podcast. We resonate with you. You speak the truth and we want to work with you. And I've been doing this for years, have all these policies, you know, and would you look at them and and so yeah send them on and and it's the same thing either keep or replace why or why not and all of his policies he should be capped they should be capped Mm. right and so he's keeping them but he wants more so we build those Um, and he had one agent that retired right Um, but he had another agent that he went back to and he asked for some enforce illustrations and he uh, he happened to mention that he had contacted my office. Well, mm-hmm. I'm speaking with James Nethery. And the guy fired him on the spot. <laughs> like, oh, well, if you're going to talk to James Nethery, then don't ask me anything ever. You know, let him service everything. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we don't discriminate what we do or don't do with clients. Once you become a client, we're all in. Yeah. And we do have a process, right? Um. This also reminds me, years ago, I was in Houston um, at a two or three day event, industry event, salt of the earth people, you know, attend in the life insurance industry. And we're, you know, going to lunch on one of these days to a really cool little Mexican restaurant in Houston that I like to stop at when I go through there. Hmm. And um, at the table was a gentleman who he was a younger man. He was probably in his mid to late thirties at the time. And I'm going back, I don't know, seven or eight years or more. Um, pra- fully practicing the infinite banking concept, you know, so I'm not going way back. Mm-hmm. And, and he, it was his choice. You know, he lived in Houston. Go, Oh no, come on, let's go to this restaurant. And so we went and we're all talking and, and the word service came out of my mouth talking about policyholders, clients. And he looked at me and he said, service? There's no service in this business. I didn't say a word. I'm like, oh, is that how your daddy trained you? There's no service? I mean, how many refugees and orphans are you going to produce? I mean, why does the life insurance have, the life insurance industry have a, a uh, spotty reputation? <laughs> because by God, they earned it. <laughs> All right, so... Um, That's my thought with these agents. It's like, y'all want the life insurance companies to provide service to these people? Okay. Oh, they can. <laughs> I mean, All right. You know, anywho, yeah. anywho. So, uh, I can't count 
the number of times people have contacted or I, for with my own policies, have contacted policy services and was authoritatively told the wrong thing. And then, and, and clients where that happens to them, and then now they're concerned or worried. Or they have to, and then they come to me and they feel fearful, and it's like, and that I about fly through the roof on that on those kinds of things, and then you, then you have to resolve it. And, and the good thing is that you do they do get resolved. And what I wanted to say too about refugees and orphans, if you're not getting served, don't feel trapped. There are ways out. You know, as a as a policy owner of a whole life policy from a mutual company, you do have the right to manage that policy directly with the company. Right? That's a that's that, your obligation, really. It's your asset. Right. You that's something that you own, and you don't want to be dependent upon an insurance agent and you don't want to be dependent upon the life insurance company. Just like you, if you're an agent or advisor, you do not want to be dependent upon third-party sales material, right, to convey this idea of becoming your own banker and the power of life insurance. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I've said that over. And if that makes you angry, young advisor, okay, get over it. Learn your product. Learn your learn what you're doing. Learn the concept. Do it yourself. I can't stand when a because uh, part of this conversation right here, this guy got passed around looking for service, just wants some guidance, and he gets passed around, and he and it, that may not even be this one, but there's another individual that we had recently talked about, got passed around, and he got appointed with or associated with an agent who doesn't even own life insurance. Yes, same that, guy. Same guy. Yeah. Uh, really? Different guy. I know what you're talking about. Different guy, but yes, yes. This was an agent who wanted to be, this was someone who wanted to become an agent and got passed around and eventually was told to be, was, <laughs> was gonna be mentored by somebody who didn't even own life insurance. Been in the business two years, didn't own life insurance. That reminds me of one time I was training way back in the day and it had to do with annuities, right? We were doing retirement and planning and not just annuities, but in that topic that I'm sharing here in this conversation. The topic was annuities. And the guy uh, been in the business probably uh, 10 or 15 years longer than me. And I don't know if he still is or not. Um, but clearly, directly, point blank, eyeball to eyeball, talking about annuities. James, these are for selling. They're not for buying. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, Okay, how can you, anyone, ask a client, a prospective client, to pay five, 10, 15, 20, 500,000, a million dollars in premium, and you're not paying anything? Or you're paying 2,500 and you're gonna go ask a man, oh, I think this is your best interest to pay $50,000 a year in premium. How do you do that? I'll wait for the comments below. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So listen, be a good client. Don't get fired. What does that mean, Ryan? Be a good client. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so the, for me, it means being willing to pay your dues. I did a 2020 talk on mentorship at the Nelson Nash Institute. Well, that sounds. Talked about the. I mean, I might not be interested. Keep explaining on pay right. my dues. What is that? And that's Okay. We don't have to work together, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, give me all the information uh, I need before I make that decision. It, well, it means per, so it means doing some homework, right? Maybe it means demonstrating initiative, right? Doing it, your, doing some of it yourself. How the, about, doing what you can do. How right? about how about the? Uh, I've heard it several times, uh, different places. Uh, we don't ask you to read any books. 
You don't have to read anything. Yeah. Oh, if I have to go to a seminar, no, you don't have to go to a seminar. You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to get out of bed any day that you don't want to. Right. I mean, it's like, really? We don't want you to be educated? We don't want you to understand what we want you to do? Right. You don't have to read a book. You don't have to watch any videos. You don't have to listen to these. It's like going to college to get a degree and you go to a school where the professors say, it's okay, you don't have to study or learn or do tests or anything. You just come hang out. Yeah. We make it easy on you. Yeah. Jump all over that, right? America's doing great with that mentality. So uh, what So what, is it, what does it mean to be a, a well-qualified client, in my opinion? Um, someone who pays their dues, who reads this book, and I do say, and I say this very specifically, uh, it is necessary and sufficient to read Becoming Your Own Banker if you want to implement the infinite banking concept in your life. Necessary and sufficient. Now, if you also do other things, like watch the Banking With Life podcast, like buy Nelson Nash's seminar from uh, the Nelson Nash Institute's online store, uh, like attend some in-person event, great. Nothing wrong with that. But it is beyond what I think is the minimally sufficient piece, which is <clears throat> to read this book. And on the other side of it, it is necessary. If you don't read the book, I don't care what else you've done, right? You can watch even this podcast, right? If you only watch the podcast, I appreciate that. Thank you, right? The view counts help. But if you want to implement in your own life, the book has to be read. So necessary and sufficient. So if you've done that, then, then we're in a good place. Then as we proceed through the, the application process, and I use that word specifically, there is a process. And, it, and the, the process is designed deliberately. And we will go through that process. It's a series of calls. I explain specifically to people with whom I engage. Um, but if the individual is uh, obstinate or disrespectful or flippant or uh, attempting to disprove something, if, they're, if, if, the, if the quote unquote reading of becoming your own banker was disingenuous, right? If, if they didn't give a charitable, if they didn't make a charitable attempt to try to understand what Nelson was doing before they engaged their skepticism and try to deconstruct it, like if you do those kinds of things, or if you write me a book over email <laughs> with all of the various criticisms you have, I'm not interested. And so those things are grounds to invite you to talk to someone else, right? Because I'm busy I'm writing a book. There's clients. We do this podcast. I have a dog. Okay, I live on a lake. I like to go on the water, okay? <laughs> I've got things to do, and I have... And I, re and I do know the opportunity cost of my time. Like, and my clients, who I know watch this, are phenomenal, right? It's, it's such a great relationship that results when, someone, when we do take initiative, when we do prepare, when we do the research that's, that's necessary, when we go through a, 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 an explicit and deliberate process. The, the result is so good, and I know what that is, that I'm just not willing to give that up and to not serve those people for somebody who wants to fight me. And so I know I get triggered, I get fired up, blah, blah, blah. I do, I do, because it is frustrating. And sometimes I don't understand why things like this aren't frustrating to other people. 
And it makes me wonder, hmm, do they not know what the alternative to this is? Like, do they, do we not they know don't. like the true cost of wasting all this time handholding and coddling people? It, it's just there. I don't, I'm not interested in that. You know, uh, you go on YouTube. This is just a, for instance, you go on YouTube the amount of content that is like IBC for the beginner or IBC to person to the, you know, to the person who fell off the truck yesterday, you know, we're starting from zero where, where it, it's, it's like, it's infantile. It's how do I say the word correctly? It's like an infantilization process. Like these agents are treating people like they can't read. <laughs> like they can't go and understand things on their own or take initiative on their own. I think that's patronizing. I think it's, infa- I think it's like, don't talk to me. Like, I don't, I don't know how to go read a book and learn something. You know, uh, I had a, <laughs> I don't know if he watches the podcast. I'm sorry if you do, but, but this comment Uh-oh. really made me, I was like, he was describing to me how, um, he wanted to, and this person did not be, is not going to become a client. Uh, but we did have the is initial call. That, no, it's, it, was a, it was a call. Oh. But the, the guy tells me um, he wanted to get some acreage in order to grow a particular crop. And, and the main uh, product was grain. And his comment to me was, after he said that the main product was grain, he said, which means seeds. And I said, I'm sitting there thinking, I know what the word grain means. Like, I get that. You know, so it's like, it's that kind of mentality where it's okay. Going back to what I was saying on YouTube, well, it wasn't just that comment that, Oh, that one kind of, because he said it a few times, oh, okay. like in a 20 minute call. It's like, I know what that is, you know? Anyway, it's that sort of mentality. And if you go on YouTube, I think the bulk of the material <laughs> is in the IBC footprint is geared towards talking to the, per, talking to the lowest rung, talking to the people who do the least amount of work, who want it mm-hmm. to, who want it easiest, right? Who, who want it, who want it spoon fed mm-hmm. the amount of the stuff online on, on in, within the IBC footprint on YouTube that focuses on the meat and the substance and the, 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 the stuff that you hear about, you know, that we might hear about throughout the course of the week, the, the thicker issues, the more complex, complicated topics. There's not a lot for that, right? Except for, I don't know here, you know, and I just, <laughs> uh, you know, because like you said, Nelson's work doesn't need a defense. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me that I would go and try to reinterpret what he wrote to teach people when they could just buy the book and get this initial foundational level of competence that Nelson in his later life after years and years of experience put together and taught in person before writing. It's like, my gosh, if you know what goes into writing a book, like the, the amount of constant <laughs> revision and you know rewriting and writing again and all of that in combination with the fact being that this is the original guy, it's like, you're gonna, are you, you think you're gonna do a better job? Yeah, or, or that you're going to do something for, it, it, it's kind of like stealing wisdom from these clients. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give you something oh, yeah. that you otherwise went and could have got yourself. You know, it's depriving them of, uh, of autonomous, of an autonomous independence, you know, to do that. And it's <laughs> becoming your own banker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to me, that method of business activity violates the spirit of what we're doing. 
And there's a sense in which the nature of the business, the nature of the product, the nature of the theory and the philosophy demands a certain kind of business practice. You know, this is long term. It's financial. It has to do with your capital. It's extremely important. It's your asset. It's not managed money. Uh, the responsibility is with you, right? The nature of the, it's a, it's a new product that does have to be learned for most people, right? The nature of the business demands in my mind, a certain approach where it's slower. And we're talking about edu it's 98% education, you know, and it's, it, it's to the point where it doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, you could speculate as to all the reasons why other methods are chosen, you know, the click funnels and clickbaity kind of things. And, and sometimes it's kind of hard to distinguish, you know, so I send emails. Does that mean I have a click funnel? You know, no, it comes down to a philosophical thing, right? It's like, what's the approach? And you can tell a tree by its fruit, right? So it's like, if you see, I don't know, hundreds of hours of a podcast of people talking about meaty stuff that might tell you a little bit about their, how they practice business. And if you watch other things where it's little quick mystifying with numbers, uh, you know, you show illustrations that are actually RPU'd in year 10, but you don't say that because then that would require you to get into why you have to do that for a super tight policy design. You know, if you, if you're careful and you observe those kinds of things, you can start to see, okay, well, hmm, maybe in five years when I want to check on how much PUA I can pay in that year, maybe that person who couldn't get my policy in place fast enough won't be there. You know? What are the odds? <laughs> Tell us how you really I feel. I feel better now. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of frustrating. And, and I don't mean to take it out on anybody. And you know, you're, you're getting comments about being too rough on people or whatever. I got one comment and there's probably more that people didn't share. But you know, in the same week, uh, there's, I don't know, five or six other positive comments. There were three or four positive phone conversations. And these people said, they said, I, I didn't entice them to say anything. They said, James, you answered a lot of questions that I had in that episode. And well, don't you think I was being too harsh? No, not at all. Mm. So it's not me, it's him. Yeah, and, well, and when we not talked about it. I hate the blame anywhere, but it's like, you're okay. I'm not, it's all out of love. I'm promoting, get up every day. I mean, I'm a capitalist, so let's make no mistake about it. I'm profitable, okay? But um, I don't get up every day and promote this idea because I love money, you know? I mean, I'm pushing back the frontiers of ignorance. I'm expanding the frontiers of knowledge. And it's okay if you uh, learn something. It is okay for you to unlearn something that is not correct. It's oh. okay. Um, you can say it, that it, about even, three more times. Even for me, I'm still a student. You know, I'm, I'm like, I wanna learn. And sometimes the student needs to be told directly, um, maybe seemingly harshly, because the same thing keeps going on over and over and over and over. I spoke specifically about these in 2019 at the think tank for a reason why do you think somebody has to create humpteen illustrations in the lowest interest rate environment ever projecting out into the future like nothing's going to change 
to make dividend-paying whole life insurance, Nelson's concept appear better than it is. Why would they do that? Because they're dependent upon the smoke and mirror mm. example presentation. They're dependent upon third-party software, sales software. In my opinion, my humble opinion, I could be wrong. Prove me wrong. Yeah, no, I don't think so. And I'll go so far to say this. Like, if this, and I don't do the promotional thing, you contact us now, you know. Or I now. do. Listen, call my <laughs> office. Shoot me an email. If you want to become your own banker, we can you should, make that happen. You should do business with people who resonate with you. And... That's exactly what this podcast does. Yeah. I mean, it, it repels people, short-term thinkers, the clickbaity, the, the smoke and mirror, the, the people that are attracted to that mm-hmm. don't call here. I mean, generally, every now and then, you know, one gets by. Yeah. I know they don't contact me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I get a little self-conscious and I'm being too hard to have too big of a chip on my shoulder. And... I, I frequently come down to no, because if you really see what's going on in the world, how bad things can be for people, and and at the same time, how good they could be, and you know both, the tolerance for nonsense vanishes, you know? So out of, seriously, out of grace, I have to like have my own policy of, I will talk to anybody. If you go to gracecapitalstrategies.com and you fill out the get in touch form. This is the no promotion part. Well, if you do that, <laughs> I will schedule a 20 minute call with you. But there's no guarantee don't of anything. Don't come at him, bro. Don't, don't be challenging. Challenging is okay. Like, I like good questions. I'm I love about good questions. challenging Nelson's work to, to break it down. Yeah, deconstructive. To, you yeah. know, and it's all part of this whole, we could get really meta about it, but it's all, it's all part of this postmodern thing where it's, where it's fun and cool and you're neat to be a skeptic and to go and deconstruct. You know, go back to, and how convenient the person I'm talking to is a government employee. What? Not all government employees are bad. My mother is a teacher state school so don't get me wrong not all people but hmm you know hmm how convenient so the whole that this like i'm on a deconstructor so i can show you and then oh and then we can set aside our difficulties and you know now we can focus it's like ah you know let's search for the truth let's search for significance let's search for meaning uh, and let's pursue that and if we do my gosh man it can be really good so it, so it does bother me. You know, I, I think of people who, you know, the family of four with two people in their 50s who contact me and, and have nothing for, for late life. It's like, that's a problem. Got to play catch up there. Yeah. I like the individuals that call after a year or two. And it's not like there was no communication in between the year during the year or two. I'm not saying that. We provide a service my office exists to provide our client service and yes we gain new clients every day but not at the expense of our existing clients okay all right boy there's a concept (laughs) yeah i think that's a bad business plan that that you're not going to provide service to your people i mean really really okay um (laughs) you know that's just not uh, in what world it's going to come back on your reputation. And in this part, 
it's going to come back on your reputation. Yeah, no question. I mean, we all, you know, uh, what you sow is what you reap. You know, let no man be deceived. Whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. So don't be, don't, Oof. don't kid yourself. Oof. You know, okay. Um, you talk to a client. It's like James. It very, you know, often there's skepticism up front. I get that. You should be skeptical. No problem with that. Um, I had a great conversation with a, a client. We're like coming up on his second year premium. Mm-hmm. His second year premium. He had already had a policy. I'm like, you need to keep that. Are you sure? Yes. And and he since in his first year, his first year is not even up. Okay. He's taking over two mortgages, and he's fixing to take over a third mortgage on an apartment complex. And he's like, oh my gosh, I don't, his words, I don't see how these people get hung up on these trivial points that they try to make. Mm-hmm. The illustration, dividend this, dividend that, guaranteed interest rate, whatever, whatever. I mean, how powerful is that? Oh, but wait, before you take over that second mortgage or the third mortgage on an apartment complex, James, should I expand my system? I think I should. What do you think? No question. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't. Here's how. Mm-hmm. You should do it. I mean, you could take over the mortgage. You could pay off debt anytime. I mean, if you have the means, right? Yeah. Okay. You only have an annual basis to pay a premium. So mm-hmm. earlier, prioritizing cash flows. Premium first. Premium, premium, premium. Outranks uh, loan repayments. All right, and I'm not saying, oh, PUA premium or ba- premium. Mm-hmm. Every check you write to the life insurance company is either a premium or a loan repayment. Premium has priority over loan repayments. That's general. Mm-hmm. But now if you don't have any discipline and you let that loan grow uncontrolled, mm-hmm. then you're not being an honest banker. So that does not give an excuse not to repay a loan. All right. Yeah. And those are the interactions like that that are so fun. I know. You know this guy happens to be Welsh and he has an accent that you can't believe and I'm trying to get him to come on as a guest because you'll just love listening to him yeah. and he's salt of the freaking earth people yeah. and all of our clients are that away I mean they might not have a Welsh accent but that's what I love it's like this is what I'm doing I'm out and then here. I have an Irish client from New York I want to bring him on I mean straight up Irish you gotta like pay attention <laughs> and salt of the earth yeah. in New York City the great city that they're killing. Oh, yeah. Anyway, okay. So, yeah. Those are so fun, you know, those exploratory questions. Like, this is what I'm doing. I'm out here. This is what it is. How how does this fit? And that's the fun process is finding the integration. Yeah, what if I wouldn't answer the, the man's phone call? <laughs> you know? It's like, then, then I'm going to force him to, uh, I'm going to orphan him and force him to become a refugee? And then he'll go, well, at his level, he would go teach another agent, right? He would help them out. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like, why would I do that? Right. I mean, I don't understand why you don't take pride in your relationship with your clients. I don't get it. I, I do not get that. But there's a lot of things in the financial world and the life insurance this industry is, that I do not agree with. This, yeah. This is, I, let me tell you what. I mean, I know I've said it. I tell I tell the uh, presidents, the vice presidents, the CEOs, the RVPs, the VPs, and the RSVPs that come around, I tell them. 
uh, I give them, I share with my opinion in encouragement and in love how they could, <laughs> you know, improve. Yep. Do better. Uh, so this is not okay. about any particular interaction that we've talked about so far, but I do think in finance, broadly speaking, the professional can is often, maybe even the majority of the time, resentful of the fact that he has to talk to individual people, like individual clients. Oh, you mean the agent or the advisor is yeah. resentful that he has to talk to somebody? Mm -hmm. That it, it, it should just be send in the check. I don't. You know. It should be like to have to do the work. Like, oh, I've, I've got to oh, go and work through this. Welcome to America. Let me stay at home. Send me a check. Well, I think that's what. I get I it. I think okay. that's why this happens to a degree. Not the whole thing and not in every instance. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. I think that's what's behind there. It's like a it's a begrudging. And, and that can happen to anybody. I mean, if you're doing something for a long time or if it's getting repetitive or if it's not interesting or if it's, you know, there's not, you're not they're growing, there isn't new development, you're not evolving, then yeah, you're gonna get complacent and then resentful and all this. But that, but that's why it's a challenge to, to be constantly growing and, and expanding the frontiers of knowledge, for instance, you know, to, and that's how you keep that at bay. That's how I keep it at bay because I gotta say the same thing a lot. Yes. You know, and that can be a grind. Yes. But there's a reason for it. And, and if we can get there and we can get someone to a point where what I had to tell them, they understand and now they can go off. It's like, hallelujah. Man, I, I, I agree with that. If, if you don't care, I don't care. Right? If you care, we care. You know, we care. Um, I tell people all the time, I mean, we're, we're pretty clear in our process, our relationship. You know, we're not all things to all people, but I come with policies that we write, accounts that we open. So my clients have access to me mm -hmm. and my staff. Oh my gosh. And there's nowhere in North America that has a staff that I am blessed to have. It's like unbelievable. So, I mean, I have clients that won't even call me. They'll call Karen. <laughs> They'll call Julie, you know. <clears throat> but they have my cell phone number. They don't mm -hmm. blow me up all weekend or all night in the evening. Mm -hmm. And I don't blow their phone up either. Yeah. Um, I, I just, <clears throat> this idea of, uh, you know, an overblown ego and making dependence or dependent clients, creating and, and you know, coddling that idea of dependency. Nobody wants to be dependent. You know, I think the whole financial services industry is skewed that away. And the agent and the advisor is not incentivized to take care of their clients directly. Right? I mean, there are, mm -hmm. there are renewals in the life insurance business, maybe with most companies, you know. Uh, there is uh, There are fees, ongoing fees, you know, in the, in the asset under management model. I mean, so I'm not saying there's not some incentivization going on, if that's a word, but it, it, there, there are companies out there that their idea, their philosophy is, well, we don't want to provide too good a service. Hmm. Hmm. Well, why is that? All right. Not spending the resources on new business acquisition? 
No, not yeah. That's where they're spending the resources. Mm-hmm. They're not spending the resources on client retention, mm-hmm. right? So then there's always the focus of the agent, the advisor, you know, the financial professional to get new clients, new clients, mm-hmm. new clients. And when you buy into that as a professional, then you're you're. It's a self fulfilling prophecy, mm. right? If I don't take care, if I'm not educating, if I'm not supporting and promoting the clients and their knowledge, then I'm always dependent. I must always get new clients, right? Because your existing clients will leave you. So if there is a renewal or if there is an asset under management fee, a continuing fee, they're going to go away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like the, uh, you know, the, the, the fast nickel or the slow dime kind of mm. concept, you know what I mean? Isn't it for the sprint? Do I have to go cash on cash in year one or two or three? Or am I setting up a life insurance policy on me that's going to mirror my life? And I want to be served well over my whole lifetime. What future year do I want to sacrifice in a life insurance policy to go cash on cash in year one, two, three, or four? Tell me what year and how many years into the future do I want to sacrifice that policy for? Oh, well, James, I didn't know I, I didn't know that was a trade-off. I didn't know I was going to sacrifice anything in the future. Yes, because you're trying to make a decision based on an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper of numbers on a page that somebody created that you don't know what's going on behind those numbers. Right, and the short answer is none. I don't want to sacrifice any year in the future. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Four fundamentals of Nelson Nash. I mean, I don't know how many times I've repeated that over the last two weeks, you know, and it's worth repeating. Number one, think long range. That's beyond next week. That's beyond next year, right? Nelson's like, oh, I don't know. I think three generations in advance. Oh, my gosh, that people can't even get past that. Right. Okay. Don't be afraid to capitalize, i.e., don't be afraid to pay a premium. If you must get access to 100% of your premium, you're not, you're operating in fear. You're afraid to pay a premium. Mm-hmm. And I'm not disparaging this idea of high cash value. That's what we do day mm-hmm. in and day out, every day. Number Just three. Just without sacrificing those things. Huh? Just without sacrificing or compromising in the future. Exactly. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to jeopardize, sacrifice. The, really, it's a sac, sacrificing the integrity or the performance or the service of a policy mm-hmm. by contorting to get you to say okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're not okay with the truth and the, what's correct, I'm I'm not either mm-hmm. for you, right? It's like bye, Felicia. Yeah. Right. Um, being an honest banker, the person, the the thinking that causes someone to think short term, that prevents them from thinking long range, that prevents them from accumulating cash values in a policy over a longer period of time, beyond a year, two, or three, right? That thinking is also prevalent in the third principle, fundamental, basic, principle that Nelson said, the the third principle is uh, be an honest banker. Don't steal the peas. Mm. That person that has that thinking short term, I'm afraid to pay a premium, will also not be an honest banker. What do you mean, James? 
I see them all day long, these illustrations. Here's an enforced illustration that the prospective client had to go to the life insurance company to get because the agent wouldn't produce it because they're not providing a service. Mm -hmm. And then you look at that outstanding loan that just grows forever. And I've seen, you've seen, we've all seen presentations within the financial services industry, within the infinite banking footprint, where loans go on forever and we're going to let them ride until we sell some asset in the future at some unknown hopeful value or until the life insurance death benefit pays that outstanding loan. And we're going to abridge the illustration at like age 80 or 80 something so that... You so you can't you, you see, see what's laps. going on behind <laughs> the numbers on that page, right? So I could go on, um, but we'll leave it there. And it's it's just another, you know, conversation that you that's continually over and over because which is, you know, reasonable to expect because new people are being exposed to this idea all day long. Yeah. All right. And then when they're exposed to this idea, especially on social media on social media then they've got to go fight through the noise and try to decipher mm-hmm. you know what's true what's not why is that not true why is this true and you know it's a worthy effort yeah very good I'm good I'm satisfied I can keep going I mean let's keep going Me we'll, we'll carve up two or three episodes <laughs> All right. wait is that your stomach I hear growling <laughs> yeah, it's definitely lunch no I had fun did we cover anything of value here absolutely alright well thanks for listening Y'all have a good one. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.